You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name's Chris. He's Ed. Welcome to my basement where we're going to talk socks baseball. 30 minutes of socks for fans, by fans. I just saw today in the uh, timeline of one of our social media pages, four years ago, we joined Spotify for the first time, my friend. Ah. And I, it was a big deal at that point. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Four years on Spotify. Actually, we've been on basically everything for the last four years. You can say, hey, Alexa, play Socks in the Basement. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, your Spotify, your Google, your iHeartRadio. You name it, they have it. You can always go to SocksInTheBasement.com and subscribe. If you are listening through something where you're not subscribed, it's always a good idea to lock that in. That way you've got something that gives you a reminder. You don't miss any episodes. If we do something special, you don't miss out. And all of the options are sitting at SocksInTheBasement.com. It's very easy to do either on your desktop or your mobile device. Family Waterproofing Solutions is the proud sponsor of this show. Named one of the Southtown's best in 2021. I expect it again in 2022 when the Daily Southtown hands out those awards. For Boeing Walls, Window Wells, Foundation and Crack Repair, Gutter Cleaning, it's almost that time, we're getting close, uh, Yard Drainage Systems, Crawl Space Encapsulation, you name it, they take care of the foundation, they keep water out. Family and veteran owned and operated since 2013. 24-7, give them a call at 708-330-4466. Mention Socks in the Basement, you get a deep discount. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. Nancy Faust was in my DMs today. Really? What a weird thing to say. It is kind of a weird thing when you when you say it that way. I know. Nancy Faust is in my DMs. Yeah, Nancy Faust slid into my DMs. She heard the episode that we did in front of the live audience, uh, talking to the guys about uh, Chili Dog MVP, over the All-Star break. And we took a little break and talked about some old White Sox stories in the 1972 season and the South Side and Dick Allen. And she was mentioned in it. And she was like, hey, I'd like to come to the basement. Now, we have to logistically figure out if we can get the organ down here. And if we can't, I'll go to Nancy. But that's where we're at at this point. And I just can't wait for the possibility of the Sox in the Basement theme song entrance being re-recorded with Nancy Faust playing it. That's that's my goal at this point, that if this actually is happens. That is the dream right there. Right. Uh, forget about being on Spotify. Spotify is great if you're listening, but uh, <laughs> having having your podcast theme song by Nancy Faust, I mean, come on. I know. We can retire Does at it get point. any better? It, it, the, only, the only thing that would make it better maybe if like Gene Honda announced us. He'll never do that for us. Show. He'll never do that for us. Not a chance. No, no, he won't. No. We all started at the same radio station in Champaign. We're alums. We were never there at the same time as Gene. I don't think Gene would ever do that for us. Okay. Gene's not Gene's at not a level a and we're not at that level. And I don't think Gene's ever going to come on the show or anything. Yeah, he, there's a there's a Gene uni, Gene universe that we are not part of. No, I don't okay. think we're invited into the Gene universe, to be honest no, with you. No, we are not. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. And, and that's fine. We, we just get to listen to him like everybody else. Like every other fan, right. we just get to revel in him announcing our favorite player walking up to the plate. And also, we have to listen to announce Larry Garcia. So there's that. Yeah, you got that right. Okay, I'm not even going to address Juan Soto trade rumors. Supposedly, the White Sox are one of the teams at the table trying to 
acquire Juan Soto. And I laugh out loud about that. Um, I had a, I had a guy send me a link, which it's to like this thing where you can simulate trades and it gives a value to players based upon the contract, their age, their performance today, their value to a, to a club, everything. And it assigns a number and you got to see if you can figure out how you can give enough value to the other team to acquire that player. It's like a trade simulator. I actually put the link right on the menu bar for Socks in the Basement. If you want to try this out, it is impossible to acquire Juan Soto. <laughs> I don't know what they're giving up, but they'd have to give up everything. And I'm saying they could give up Timmy Anderson and Luis Robert, and they would still fall short according to the simulator. So I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I feel like we're just one of those teams being mentioned that really don't have a chance at the best baseball player possibly in all of Major League Baseball. Here's where I will, I will start and end the Juan Soto conversation for myself, okay? For the White Sox, the, the fact that Soto is under contract or under team control for two more seasons means that if they were to sell the farm, not literally the farm system, but if they were to give up way more than you think they should – to acquire him, it is because he fits within their championship window. They they are a team that does not necessarily have to be interested in re-signing him long-term because at the end of his team control, the Sox are probably going to be looking at another rebuild of sorts anyway. Okay, a lot of this core starts falling off, and they need a lot more replacement players coming off of that than they would normally. So I will start and kind of end it there. And if they approach it from that standpoint and other teams are more worried about what are we going to be able to get back or how are we going to be able to to recoup these prospects, the Sox aren't going to give prospects. They don't have any prospects. So it's not really going to make a difference to them in a couple of years the way it might to, say, the Dodgers who might be looking at mortgaging some of their future and some of the replacements for their guys down the road. So that's the only prayer they have of it is if all the other teams look at this and go, we're never going to be able to resign this guy. And Rick Hahn says, you know what? I don't care if I have to give up major league ready pieces now and help the nationals rebuild on the fly, because this guy gives me a better chance at winning a world series than some of the guys I'm giving up. And if we're not competing in the 2014 season, I'm just going to trade him off to the Mets because Steve Cohen's going to sign him when he becomes a free agent anyway, because he's the only idiot that's going to pay him enough money. Speaking of the championship window, the Sox did just enough to make me believe that they have a shot here. Uh, I would have loved six out of eight in that stretch. They got they got five out of eight. They had every opportunity to go go get six out of eight. They didn't they didn't pull it off. Oh, they did. They but did. I'll take five out of eight in the last uh, four against the Twins. They took three. They made a little bit of a statement there, but this series that's coming up is really important. And I am surprised by the reported probables. Like if you go on the MLB site, the pitching probables for the White Sox for the opening series against Cleveland is still to be determined. But Scott Merkin and James Fegan, who have both been on this show many times, have already tweeted out what the expected probables are after they've talked with Tony. And it looks like it's Giolito, Lynn Cueto, and cease. And my question is, if they don't have their first game until Friday, everybody's available. You can shuffle your rotation however you want to. Dylan Cease pitching on Sunday could pitch Friday and he would be on regular rest. So you have the opportunity at this moment right now to set up your rotation however you want to set it up. And you're going to take one of your struggling pitchers in Lance Lynn and you're going to play him in one of these four games. Uh, So that, first of all, is an issue to me. Secondly, I want as many starts as possible out of Dylan Cease, but he's sitting in the four spot in the rotation. I mean, at least Johnny Cueto 
in the two, possibly the three, depending on how they shake it out as the next week goes on, because they got a couple of days off. So that's why they don't need to call anybody up for this. The next time all these guys come around, they would all still be on regular rest because there's two days off after this weekend in the next week. So they're able to kind of spread things out here. But my concern is how you've got this set up, because then I look ahead and Kopech, assumingly coming into the five spot in that in that new rotation setup, or what they're doing coming out of the break, it would be your five, your one, and your two, or your one, your two, your three in the weekend series at the beginning of September against the Twins, which expects to be big. And you're you're setting this up really weird because Dylan Cease wouldn't be pitching in that series. And to me, you want to give your best pitchers as many starts as possible in the second half. It's surprising to me. I don't get it. Do you? Two things I can think of that make sense here. And one is knowing that Lance Lynn is struggling by bracketing him in between Cueto and Cease, if that's what they're doing, or bracketing him in between Giolito and Cueto, is you're essentially saying we're not going to be in a position where we have to put him back-to-back with either Michael Kopech or Davis Martin. And... Kopech is a concern because you don't know if he's hurt. You don't know what is going on with him where his effectiveness has started to wane or if it's this is just the time where you're going to be resting him or what. And then Martin, you know, presuming that he is the next starter up when when they need one, he's, you know, he's still, you're trying to figure out who he is exactly. He's a rookie. He's not a guy that you were necessarily running into the season going, this is the guy that we're going to count on to come up and be our sixth starter and our, our first replacement off the bench. So that is the only logical thing I can think of is you're, is you're looking at it going, we can't have a series, any series, whether it's an important one against the twins or, you know, something that, that doesn't have direct ramifications on their standings in the, in the AL central we can't risk having Lance Lynn and Michael Kopech go back-to-back because they're a little untrustworthy right now. So at least we know that if, let's say, Lynn does come out as the second starter, that against Cleveland, he might be the weakest link and he might be the game that you're going to have to try and steal with the offense. I think he'd be matched up against Connor Pilkington, so that bodes well. So maybe they're playing matchups like that. But assuming that they continue to go down the stretch and compete for the title, for the AL Central title, or compete for a wild card spot, but basically as long as they're in contention for the playoffs, they are going to have to rework the rotation then to make sure that when you walk into the playoffs, you are lined up so that Dylan Cease is one of the first three guys pitching, if not the guy that opens the playoffs because you might want him potentially to pitch two games there or Cueto to pitch two games there. One of those two guys has to be that you know the top guy walking into a playoff series or walking into a wild card game. It seems as though Tony Larusa still doesn't know who's going to be the first starter on Saturday and who's going to be the second one. At least as we sit here, right? And to me, I don't understand how that's a no, how that isn't a no brainer. Lance Lynn is nothing but shaky and is basically in the 90s in his pitch count by the time he's done with four innings. And Johnny Cueto's been a stud. And if they're both pitching in that double header and it's such a big series, go with Cueto first and win the first game. And then when you come out of it, if Cueto saved your bullpen and they're all there for Lynn and he's already looking bad at the end of four, you don't have to try to get him out there for that fifth inning where lately when you send him back out there, it's more runs because you you just keep trying to squeeze an extra inning out of him. Wouldn't you like to know if it's possible to pull him early if he's high in his pitch count and he hasn't shown you anything different than what he's shown you to date? 
So, I mean, I don't know where the where the confusion is or we're not sure which one's starting first. I'd go Cueto first because then I know what's in front of me in game two. Win the game in front of you. It's one of the biggest problems this team has with all the resting and like we're going to give this guy this extra day and we're, we're planning ahead three games from now and that's why we don't want to bring in a relief pitcher at this point. Win the game at hand if you have the opportunity to win it and it's within reach or it's close and go out there and get the victories you know you can get because you have no idea when the next game comes along if you're going to give up 10 in the first inning because some guy just didn't have it. Okay, win the games that are in front of you. That's what this team needs to do moving forward. As you return to the ballpark in the second half with the hopes of the White Sox coming back, catching the Twins and the Indians, and getting this division after a really crazy first half, you should be partying pregame, postgame, in-game at Cork and Carey at the park. In the shadow of the ballpark, 33rd in Princeton, the official home of the podcast for fans, by fans, Socks in the Basement, an award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites. Get some appetizers, get the kids out there beforehand, enjoy indoor or outdoor seating, and that big, beautiful bar inside with the rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. Their other location in Beverly, too. I've been watching what's going on there with the food trucks coming in and the big outdoor patio. If you're not making it down to the ballpark, get in there to Cork and Carry Beverly, 10614 Southwestern Avenue with the big screen TVs outside. It's the perfect time of the year to sit outside and watch a ball game and, and enjoy that crowd. What a great place to hang out, especially on the weekends, but pretty much any night is great at the traditional Irish bar in the Beverly neighborhood, the original Cork and Carry. But remember, pregame, postgame, your home. When you get out to the White Sox games to get a great deal and have a good time, 33rd in Princeton, shadow of the ballpark, Cork and Carry at the park. Learn more at corkandcarry.com. Joining us right now from Sox on 35th, the guy that gives us all the minor league news, notes, and information, it's Corn in the Basement with Michael Suero. Take it away, Michael. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. So I want to talk about two prospects for the White Sox. They both started in AA, both came into the season with relatively high amount of expectations, and they both also got off to slow starts, but as of late over the past month and a half, they've both been on fire. First of all, I want to talk about Jose Rodriguez. I personally was very high on him coming into the season. As a 20-year-old, he went from low A to double A in one season, had one of the best seasons in all White Sox minor league systems. He was an extremely high riser, and I thought he was going to be on the fast track to the majors personally. I thought there was an outside chance he could have even made his debut this season. Things did not get off to a great start for him. I think part of it was just adjusting to more advanced pitching. Well, since June 1st now, he is hitting 331. He's even been pretty dangerous on the base pass with 19 stolen bases. He's not hitting for the same power that he was last year, but he does have four triples over the past month and a half and six triples overall in the season. So he's getting the extra bases at least. It's a great development for him. And then the other guy I want to talk about is Yolki Cespedes, who's been getting you know, a lot of hype, partially just because of his last name being related to Ioannis Cespedes. But he was also one of the highest rated uh, international prospects a couple years ago. 
since June 1st, he has turned his season around. He's hitting 277 with an 860 OPS. He's hit a few home runs during the time span. He's got 11 overall on the season, and he's continuing to play solid uh, defense in center field. They're letting him work it out there, and it seems like it's been working out well. He's got a cannon of an arm out there, and he's got apparently enough range to stick there, so it's been great to see him turn his season around. Awesome. So now the draft just happened over this past weekend. And before I let you go, uh, I'm curious, anything stand out to you? Were there picks that you loved, something you hated, somebody that we might not uh, really be paying attention to because they're they're further on in the in, in the draft process? Uh, give me some uh, some of your takes on who the White Sox added to their system in the draft. Well, first of all, I just like the way they identified their biggest need in their farm system, which was pitching, specifically upside pitching. They didn't really have much of that coming into this draft, and they spent their first two picks on Noah Schultz, a tall, lanky, left-handed pitcher with premium stuff. We've seen that formula work out for them in the past with uh, Chris Sale and Garrett Crochet. Um, I really like that pick. Um, It sounds like he's going to be a bit of a above-slot draft pick, but you know, I'm fine with that. It's a riskier pick, but it's something that they have strayed away from in the past, so I love the approach there. And then Peyton Paulette, too. I think he's a big upside draft pick out of college. Probably would have been a first-round pick if he didn't miss the entire season with Tommy John surgery. But, I mean, nowadays, what pitcher doesn't have at least one Tommy John surgery in their career? So I don't think that that's a huge factor for them. And he's a guy that touches 99 miles per hour with his fastball. Big spin rates on his breaking pitches. I just I love the upside play there. And then I also like how they balance that out with their third round pick in Jonathan Cannon, who was also looked at as a top two round guy. They get him at pick 101. He doesn't have the same premium stuff as the top two, but he attacks the strike zone really well. He controls his pitches well. He's got elite walk rates. He does he barely walks any batters. If I had to pick someone from this draft, he's probably the guy that's going to move the quickest through this farm system. Now, he doesn't have the premium stuff that Schultz and Paulette have, but he does have you know a ceiling of a mid-rotation starter and a better chance at making you know, an MLB rotation than probably anyone that they've drafted. Michael Suero and everybody who appears on Socks in the Basement brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have coming up, all the events and nightlife weekdays and weekends at lamontdowntown.com. And it really seemed like they went after pitching. That was the focus. You could just see that when you looked at the picks early and often. And uh, that tells me a little bit about the organization. You have to think about the fact that we have young pitchers on this staff, but if they get really good, this is not an ownership that would sit there and say, okay, now we're going to sign this guy to an eight-year, $300 million deal or something ridiculous like that. He doesn't give out a lot of years. He doesn't give out a lot of money to pitching because Jerry Reinsdorf's been burned in the past before by it. And it's one of those things that I think is very hard for Rick Hahn to go and convince his owner to do. So he grabs as many arms as he can because he knows he's going to have to continuously replace pitchers. That was my take. What did you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there wasn't a ton of pitching in this farm system in the first place. And, you know, it's a volatile position. Pitchers, you know, every year you see one of the top pitchers in baseball blow out their elbow and have to miss the season. And so that alone makes it, you know, a harder sell to go out and spend money on pitchers, let alone, like you said, 
They've gotten burned in the past. Callis Keuchel is a great um, recent, <laughs> recent example of how spending money on pitchers doesn't always pan out. So, you know, loading up on that in your farm system, hoping that, you know, at least one or two of them stick. I think it's a good philosophy for them. Michael Suero, Sox on 35th. Check out his minor league reports on that website and all the other good work that he does. My friend, thank you for joining me for Corn in the Basement, plus a little more on the draft. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Chris. Sox in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the south side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. All right, so let's take a look real quick, my friend, uh, as we get ready to start this, this second half at the roster, which... To me, when I look at first half stats up to the All-Star break, a lot of things that were looking bad at times uh, don't look so bad when you look at it and you go, okay, well, this is what this guy did over the first couple of months. We have several players that are either coming back to the norm or are at the norm or are playing better than they did the year before, like Andrew Vaughn, who, who are putting up good numbers in the first half that I feel confident in in the second half. And then we have guys who are hot. They were hot coming in in the last couple of weeks to the All-Star break. And I I say give them every start you possibly can because you want to get the best guys out there that you can. And if you use that philosophy going around the horn, Sebi Zavala is better for you than Reese McGuire. And when Grandal comes back, you're not going to be able to explain to me what the reasoning is if for some reason McGuire stays up and Zavala goes down. Zavala should clearly be the number two catcher. It would make no sense to me if you were like, well, this was what our plan was at the beginning of the year. So we're going to take a guy who's hitting 286 with a 777 OPS in half the at-bats of Reese McGuire has pretty much the same amount of doubles, runs scored, and more RBIs than McGuire, who's had twice as many at-bats and can do it defensively and seems to be able to handle the staff very well. I wouldn't get that. But Zavala at catcher, Abreu at first, you deal with Harrison because he's still the best defensive option. He's hitting 232. He had that hot streak, but over the last couple of weeks into the All-Star break, he was hitting in the 230s as well. He is what he is. Tim Anderson's your shortstop. Moncada was red hot, so you're going to have him at third base as much as possible. As long as Robert's lightheadedness is over, he's out there again. Adam Engel on fire the last couple of weeks going into the All-Star break. He should be playing all the time out there. Andrew Vaughn's in your lineup as well. He's your DH or he's moving into the outfield or going wherever you need him. And essentially, your holes, again, not only Harrison in the lineup because of his bat, but that third outfielder. Because Pollock didn't get a you know steady play. You keep seeing him sat down, put back in. He, he doesn't get going because he's a streaky hitter. We've talked about that early on in the season. He's that kind of guy that needs to get on a streak. And you can't get on a streak if you're, you're playing one day and sitting the next day. 
Gavin Sheets didn't look good the last couple of weeks coming in. You know my opinion on Larry. He shouldn't be out there starting or playing regularly. So you're essentially waiting for Aloy to get back and you're trying to figure out second base. It's just like the offseason. Best case scenario, you're going to have the team that you had with a couple of holes at second base in that third outfield position, and you're going to be still trying to figure that out here in the second half of 2022. Yeah, well, and, you know, to, to kind of unwind some of that. There's a lot there. I wound it up. I'm sorry. There was so yeah. much I wanted to get in. I wound it up. I mean, I, I was I was going to ask you to repeat it all because I really wasn't paying attention. But <laughs> um, now I know how our listeners feel. No, I, I, but to, to unwind some of that, it gets frustrating. That's what frustrates us as fans, right, is when Tony takes something that is very, very obvious to everybody. Uh, Andrew Vaughn is hitting very, very well. And he sits him inexplicably for a couple of games or, you know, it takes him out of a big situation because it's a guy that he thinks Gavin Sheets should hit better, even if Sheets is stone stone cold, right? Or, you know, going with Leary because in theory he's the better bat and Josh Harrison is the better defensive option and neither of them are hitting particularly well. Well, you go with the defense then. You give do something positive. To really go back to what you said at the beginning about Sebi Zavala and Reese McGuire, you know, the, the offense is so much better for Sebi, right? That you look at the defense and you say, okay, well, is Reese McGuire, because this, this is McGuire's MO, he is living up to exactly what he was with the Blue Jays, which is a defensive first catcher who's a left-handed bat that isn't very good. At, at hitting, he's just he just doesn't have power. He doesn't really have it to to put together a solid offense for you to the point where he is going to be somebody that you can count on as a starting catcher. And he's proving that I think very well. Who do you think would win a home run competition, him or Nick Madrigal? Because I think I would have been on Madrigal. I would have thought he oh, could I, actually I, win. I'd that. go Madrigal. <laughs> Madrigal. I I really honestly, I mean. Just the eye test. Nick Madrigal can hang out some line drives. I've seen Reese McGuire hitting kind of nothing but soft, you know, soft liners, ground balls. You know, it kind of gets those pop-ups that falls in. He'd be a hell of a 16-inch softball player, Reese I would McGuire. love Reese McGuire on my 16-inch softball team. Yeah. I just wouldn't let him drive me to the grocery store. But that's all <laughs> I'm going to say there. Um, but McGuire hitting 228, a 554 OPS, those are that's bad. It's just, it's bad offensively. His total bases, he's got 42 total bases over 33 hits. You know, that's just, there's not a whole lot there to, to talk about offensively. So you look at the defense though, and what you find is looking at something like runs saved. Okay. And, and the total runs saved, uh, above average, he, and in the defensive run saved, the total run saved above average, he and Sebi Zavala are basically identical this year. Defensively, he and Sebi are the same guy. Sebi's just had about half the innings that Reese has had and, you know, half the games that Reese has had. But you're right. That would be a source of frustration for Rick Hahn to say, well, we traded Zach Collins, who, by the way, isn't doing anything, anything for Toronto right now. Um, We traded Zach Collins to get this guy because we thought he would be a good backup catcher. But there's also, you know, as a fan, I'd also sit there and say, hey, look, you guys developed a guy. You developed a catcher that's good offensively and good defensively and might be a guy that can help Yasmani Grandal get, you know, the last couple of years of his his best physical fitness, his peak, out of, you know, this contract. And I would much rather see that and say, okay, good job, guys. 
on AJ Pollock versus Adam Engel. Really, honestly, I, I I think they should try and trade Pollock at the deadline, whether they are buying or selling. I think he's got value to a number of teams. He's got another year on his contract. He's a veteran player. I'm not saying he can't help the White Sox, but in a, with a team where you cannot simply say that there are prospects out there that we can trade to get something to fill a hole, and I think you might need another starting pitcher here, I think A.J. Pollock becomes a, a trade chip. So I think what you bring up also illustrates one of my biggest fears with the White Sox in the front office and Rick Hahn. And it's an inability to just accept the loss, right? Like you dealt Nick Madrigal for Craig Kimbrell and it didn't work out. You couldn't accept the loss and just let Kimbrell go. You had to find a trade partner, which held up things that you could do because you were up against it with your budget and it affected your offseason. I think that's pretty obvious to anybody that paid any attention to what was going on. And now you've got Pollock on the team, and as you're saying, you'd be great if you could just move on from him because you can see it and I can see it that right now the way that these guys are being used, Angle is bringing you just about the same as Pollock, and you you have Jimenez hopefully some point coming back and playing, although I can't count on him because the guy's here and then he's gone and then he's here and then he's gone. I never know how long he's going to be gone for. But it's the same thing with the, the McGuire issue. Uh, Rick Hahn would have to admit somewhere that, yeah, the guy that we drafted didn't work out. We traded him for somebody else who didn't work out. And it's almost like this fear of having to accept that not every decision you made was right almost freezes you from making the right decision. Because the right decision sometimes is just sit there and say, yeah, we screwed that one up, but the right move at this point is to go in this direction because we've got a Sevi Zavala. The right move at this point is when Adam Angle's hot and with the fact that he could play pretty good defense if Jimenez came back with all these guys that are here, if Pollock needs to play every day and the manager's not interested in doing that because he's never going to accept that Pollock can hit lefties and righties the same way, then it's maybe best to see if I can get some value out of him. Even if people criticize me because this is all from the Nick Mandrigal to Craig Kimbrell to A.J. Pollock trade line. And I think that's the thing, that Han needs to get over the mistakes. For a guy that sits around and says, I don't care what the bloggers, the podcasters, the Twitter universe, I don't care what they say about me, he sure seems really nervous about just admitting a mistake and moving on for the betterment of his roster. Well, here, l- l- let me help. Let me, let me help with that. Rick, I know you're listening, okay? Don't don't deny it, Bubby. I know you're listening, okay? He is. He is listening. Reese McGuire was not a mistake, even if you have to move on from him, okay? You, you needed him because, if nothing else, you needed to have somebody in front of Sebi so that he could prove that he is the answer that you've been seeking this whole time. And Reese McGuire has been a good contributor to this team this year as a backup catcher in a situation where you lost your starting catcher. And you know what? We understood. It was weird for you to trade Madrigal for Kimbrel, and we, we know you wanted to try and make up for that. And look, A.J. Pollock was kind of a great find given the situation and what you could get out of Kimbrel. And also, it feels better knowing that Nick Madrigal hasn't hardly played for the Cubs this year. It's okay to trade A.J. Pollock and get something else for him. We are always going to say Nick Madrigal was traded for whoever you get. <laughs> It'll be 20 years from now. We'll be drawing. We'll be drawing the Nick Madrigal trade line. This <laughs> we will. Okay, we always will. We will always draw the Nick Madrigal trade line, oh, won't we? The, when my son takes over, socks in the basement, and he's talking to your son one day, and we're sitting on a beach. That'll be the conversation. The Nick Madrigal trade line continues. It started with a very short second baseman with a good bat control. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. 
Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.